Okay. This week's parsha is Parsha's Emar. Parsha's Emar discusses, among many other things, the I guess the the main thing that jumps out on us is the all the all the Yom Tovim, all the festivals are discussed in this week's parsha, as well as all of the laws regarding the, the Kohanim. So the, the priests in the Mesa Mikdash, which of course today we have the Kohanim as well. They don't play as much of a role in our life as they did in the olden days because there's no Mesa Mikdash, there's no temple. But of course they still play some role um, on Yom Tov, right? Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, and Kippur. They do Birchas Kohanim by the Aron Kodesh. Um, they get the first Aliyah, and and there's a many many multitude of laws when it comes to Kohanim that they have different laws than we do. Unless any of you, any of you Kohanim? There you go. So you know them all, right? So if Mashiach came today. Which he still could come for another few minutes. Um, then there would be the laws of Toma and Tyra, right? Laws of the impure and pure purities, <coughs> which which uh, are very very complex. And that is really the the first. That's the introduction to the parsha. To the this parsha is the the first thing we discuss are the laws of of the purity and impurity. All different things, which we're not going to go into the details. But the first psukim, the first verses, when they discuss this, it says something very interesting. It says like this: Hashem told Moshe, "Emor el Kohanim, tell the Kohanim, bnei Aharon, the sons of Aaron, ve'amar alayhem, and tell them." The nefesh do not become impure to, to fine, to 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 do not become impure to to dead dead people. Do not come close. Do not touch a dead body. Okay. The the pasuk I'll, I'll say it over again. Let's see if we can pick up the 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 extra word. By Yomar Hashem al Moshe, Hashem tells Moshe, and more al Kohanim, tell the Kohanim, b'nei Aharon, the sons of Aaron, the Amar Talim, and tell them. Right? You notice the word Amor and Amarta. The word Amor and Amarta are said twice. So that's very. Why does the Torah tell us the, use the word Amor and Amarta twice? So Rashi points that out. And Rashi tells us as follows Amor of Amarta, Lahazir Gedalim in Alaktanim. To make sure that the Gedalim, the, the older people, which means over here are the parents, to keep their children out of trouble, so to speak, and train their children when they're young to keep away from these things. So with the Kohanim, have a special commandment to, like we call it chinoch, right, to teach our children. A Kohanim have a special commandment to teach their children when they're young to keep away from impure things. <coughs> impure things could be... Um, Obviously, we don't usually come into contact with dead bodies, but in the in the more common things, the little creepy crawlies, shrutzim, 
um, insects and things like that, those are all tummy, those are all impure, and therefore that would be obviously more of an issue for Kohana, especially for the children who generally like uh, playing around in the, in the dirt or things like that. So the question, the obvious question is, the Torah needs, at some point in time, the Torah needs to tell us that it is very important for parents to teach their children, right? That's, that's obviously something the Torah needs to tell us. Why specifically this mitzvah, the mitzvah, the commandment of teaching the children to stay away from impure things? Why is that the commandment that the Torah chooses to lay in this specific um, commandment of chinuch, the specific commandment to teach the children while they're young? The Torah could have chosen right, 612 other ones, 612 other mitzvahs to say, oh, by the way, talking about Shabbos, right, you should teach your children when they're young to be careful to keep Shabbos, right? Or talking about kosher food, right? The Torah could say, and do the double word, and Rashi would tell us, by the way, very, very important to teach your children keep kosher. Why is it specifically when it comes to, to, to the laws of impure impurity? Okay. That this is just to the children of the Kohanim. Yes. So, very good point. So, how many, there's, how many Kohanim are there? Exactly. Well, I, I don't know the numbers, but the odds are probably somewhere around 1 in 12, right? No, because it was not, that was not a tribe. Oh, you're right. See? See? Leslie, Leslie just stumped the rabbi. Yes. It was not even a tribe. It was, it was only one child. You're right. Because the Kohanim were only Aaron's children. And Aaron wasn't a tribe. Levi was the tribe. That's right. correct. So it's even less than one in twelve. Perfect. Very good. So that makes even the question even more compelling. So what? Yeah. So even more compelling. Exactly. So it's not now. It's in the future. You must tell your children. What right. Is what, what is you, yeah, Vamarta means you should. That's future. Tense. Future tense, yes. Future tense. Very good. You should tell them. So, very good. It, it doesn't mean only for their three children, it means for the whole future, all the future generations. But you're, you're bringing up a very, very important point, which makes the question more compelling. This mitzvah doesn't even have to do with the vast majority. Of of Kali Israel of the na- Jewish nation, right? It's only one small, small, small fraction, right? Okay, that's true. That's true. That's true. Nissan Nissan is pointing out that even us Israelim, us regular non Kohanim, we also have different laws. Where, for example, the Korban Pesach, we would not be able to bring the Korban, eat the Korban Pesach. Okay, that's true. That's true. But this commandment was told specifically to Kohana. Okay? So, the, so the, 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 interestingly, just as an aside, Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zatzal, he points out an interesting thing. Rashi tells us that you shall tell your children to be careful, and there's a commandment for the parents to teach their children to be careful. And Elisha points out that we should all, we all know that this is not an easy task. This is a, uh, as I, I'm, right, I'm, I have young children at home, this is a lifelong uh, challenge, right? This is not a one-time thing, right? And 
the reality is, is that, is that it's not easy and it doesn't always work. Um, definitely, it never works 100%. No one's children are angels, right? And at some point, we have to just, how, how do we do that? Right? What's the best way? And obviously, you could read a big stack of, of, of uh, child, uh, um, of parenting books and, and figure that out. But Ramayi Feinstein says something that's very classic, and it's not news to anyone, I don't think. But he says something very, very classic and very important. He says there's only one way to produce good children, and that is to be a good parent, a good role model. And that is the, the most, if there's one single most important um, thing that a parent could do to help his children be good children, and it is with regards to anything in life, whether it is Judaism, Ruchnius, spiritually, or even any other society, um, anything that has to do with being part of society, if you are a good role model, of course, that is the single most important thing you can do, that your children would be law-abiding, upstanding children. That's what Moshe Feinstein points out, as an aside. But back to our question, what's so special about this mitzvah? So I saw a beautiful idea, a beautiful thought um, from Rabbi friend, Rabbi Sachar friend Shlita, who is a Rosh Hashiva in Baltimore, in Arizona, Baltimore, who happens to be my wife's great uncle, actually. And he points out a beautiful thing. And it actually is very prevalent in today's day and age. More, more, much more so than in, in previous generations. He says that in today's day and age, we have a very big, um, I call it an issue in my um, millennial Gen Z generation, we would call it FOMO. I don't know if anyone knows what FOMO is. You guys are a little bit, a little bit older than FOMO. FOMO is short for fear of missing out. And we young chaps, we, that's, that's a real word in the dictionary. <laughs> in our, our dictionary at least. And the, the idea of, but everyone else is doing this, or how come I can't do this, all my friends are doing this, or, or the, right, all these different things, how come I can't go there, how come I can't eat that, etc., etc. This is the, the, the same theme in different forms of questions. And people, a lot of times, especially Jewish people, feel very restricted. Some way, shape, or form, some to a larger, a bigger extent, larger degree, some to a smaller. But in some way, most Jewish children, especially, feel a certain amount of restrictions. It's hard for them. How come I can't do this? My friends can do this, right? And that is something that is one of the most important things that a parent has to, has to deal with in the right way. And also in our own personal life, we have that. Right? We feel with our, in ourselves, right? right? You, you know you can't do it, but you really want to do it and it hurts you. You feel like, oh, if only I could, whatever it is. I don't want to give any specific targeted examples. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. But whatever you're holding in life, right? There's always that something that, that you really want to do. And it's just, it just, how come I can't do that, right? How come that's, right? How come I can't eat in that restaurant? Or how come, right? It's whatever it is. And who has this the hardest? Above the level of restrictions of regular Jews, especially obviously in the times of the Basin Megdash, are the Kohanim. Right? Kohanim, even nowadays, certain places they're not allowed to go, many museums 
have dead, dead bodies in them, fossils and things like that. And, and they're not allowed to go to these museums. I remember growing up, I had a cousin that was, that was, a, that was a Kohen, and he was never, all these, all these trips we used to go on a Chalamon on vacation, oh, we have to check it up to see, I, I call the rabbi up and to see if we were allowed to go. And all of these restrictions are one step higher for a Kohen. And imagine this uh, little Kohen boy who's, call him Chaim, and let's just make up, he's 10 years old, 10 year old Chaim, and he says, okay dad, um, all my friends are playing basketball, see you later, right? I'm going to go head out to the basketball court. And his father goes, Chaim, one second, which basketball court, are you going to the gym? No, 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 I'm going to, the, I'm playing in the alley over there. Oh, the alley... You can't go to the alley. The alley is full of uh, snakes and, and worms and, and, you, and, and dead and little insects. And you, you can't go there because you have to be careful not to become tame. And poor, poor Chaim, right? All his friends, good Jewish boys, right? All do the right thing. They're all going. He has to be careful. And this poor guy, this poor little boy, feels very restricted. Okay? So the Torah tells us specifically with regards to my Chaim, this guy, this Kohen boy, which he is even more restricted than all the other Jewish boys and girls. And the Torah tells us in this case, the mitzvah to teach your children. Why is it so important? Because we need to know how to do it. The Torah tells us how to do it. The Torah tells us that the way to do this, the way to achieve this, is by teaching your children and showing them, instead of telling them, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't go there, that's not the way to do it. The Torah tells us, you tell him, you are a Kohen, and you are holy. Step two, since you are a Kohen, and you're holy, and you're holier, therefore, you have to be careful more than other people. The same way you have a royalty prince or a king, that they have to make sure that they always look spick and span, and wherever they're going, there's going to be photographers and paparazzi, and they have to portray a certain image. So, so too, Cohen, instead of telling him, you can't do this and you can't do that, and I was feeling restricted, instead of feeling restricted, you supposed, the, the Torah is telling us, the ideal way is to teach them, instead of telling them you are restricted, you're supposed to teach them, you are special. You are special. And that lesson, now that we understand why specifically we're discussing this by a Kohen, now we can scale back and we understand that this is true with everything, especially in, in Judaism, right? Where we do have many restrictions, but we are supposed to teach our children, you are special. The reason why you can't eat in that restaurant is because we are Jewish, we keep kosher, and therefore we are special, and that is why that restaurant is off limits. If the child understands that we are special, then it will be okay for him. It may still be hard, it may still be difficult, but he'll be happy and he'll accept the fact that certain things he can do. And there's many, many, many different examples of things, that, even in my life, right, where I had such, such, such um, differences of whether some of my friends maybe were a little bit less stringent than, than my family and I couldn't do things in their house or other way, other friends were more stringent than my family. When they came to my house, they couldn't do things. Uh, I'll just give you like examples. Let's say watching videos or things like that, um, where I would go to a friend's house and they had a TV, 
and my parents didn't let me watch TV. And instead of being, how can I watch TV or whatever it is, my parents would tell me, well, we hold ourselves on a little bit of a higher standard than them. They're very nice people, and we let you play with them. Of course, they're friends, but don't watch TV in their house because we think that that's not proper. That's what my parents would say. And there's an interesting book, actually, called, it's called All for the Boss. Very, very old book. And the book was, it's basically, it's like a kind of a biography about the author's father, but a big part of it is, is I guess, an autobiography about herself. And even the, the parts that are about her father, all through like her lenses as, as a child. And this person who wrote the book, her name was Ruchama Shane, and her father's name was, was um, Yaakov Yosef Herman. So her, when she was a child, her name was Ruchama Herman. And her father was a massive tzaddik. A massive, massive tzaddik. He um, grew up in, in, I don't remember if it was Europe or in Russia. And he, in Russia, I guess, and he escaped or his family, I don't remember the whole history about his father. But what I remember about his, his father was that his father um, was very, very staunch. He was st- stuck to his guns. And he was religious, ultra-religious as can be. And as he built up a family, um, they were very, very, very different than all our friends. And she grew up in school, and all her friends were Jewish. I think it was in public school, but all her friends in her class were all Jewish. Uh, and, and there were many, many different things that happened in that book, specifically during her childhood, that rings, just this same message rings over and over again. Where she, she was a little bit disturbed by something, she was a little bit upset, she couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And her father was the same thing, she kept on reminding her, we are special, we are special, we don't do these things, right? And one of the examples she gave was that it was a very standard practice. All her friends, every Sunday, they used to go to the beach and wear bathing suits. And her father forbade her wearing a bathing suit. She was a nice religious, ultra orthodox. Jewish girl and she couldn't wear a bathing suit and she was very very upset because of course everyone knows New York City hot humid sticky summers I guess St. Louis is not much better but it's right around the same thing and the idea is is that her father finally came home and brought her this package with this huge smile on his face as if he bought her the world's greatest present and she's very excited she opens it up and guess what it was? It was this very thick, long, um, I don't know what to call it, a robe or a cover-up. And her father is very excited. He gives it to her and says, Ah, here you can go to the beach now. I bought you a cover-up. And this cover-up weighed like, weighed like 30 pounds. And of course, it didn't make her life very exciting. And she was very upset. And her father reminded her, The reason why we have to be tzniyas is because we're, we're Jewish and by Judaism, a woman is supposed to dress modestly, and 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 it's important not to be feel, not to feel restricted, but to feel that this is our pride. We pride ourselves in in the fact that we have a little bit of, I guess we call it nobility, a little bit of of a higher level, higher standard of spiritual living than other people. And another example, just not not this is a little bit of a. Uh, a different twist But one day Her father came over there And told her that they have a cousin or an uncle That was coming in on a ship From Europe, coming to visit And as a special um, treat to her, her they, uh, 
her father said, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning, and I, the, her father told her, I'll be willing to take you to the harbor, New York Harbor. The New York Harbor was hustling and bustling, huge steamliners, huge ships, and this young girl was going to be very exciting for her. Anyways, she was waiting for the day. She marked the X on the calendar two weeks later. Anyways, of course, that day, right, something always has to go wrong in their house. And they had multitudes of guests. They had tons of guests in their house. And that day, all of a sudden, father wakes her up early in the morning and tells her, get ready in half hour. And we're going to go to the harbor. Pick up the uncle. Huge ships. Hustle, bustle. She's very excited. Anyways, 20 minutes later, 10 minutes before she's ready to leave, her mother tells her, quick, 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 there's more guests than we expected. I needed to go to the store to get vegetables and whatever it is. And she said, but, 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 but I'm going to the harbor with, 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 with Tati, with, with the father, right? And the mother says, no, I'm sorry, there's no time, we need to do this. I'm sorry, I don't have any help. You have to help me out. Go, go, go. And she runs to her father crying, I really need to go, I really want to go to the harbor. Mommy's not going to let me. And her father says, Orchim, the guests are here, you have to help. And this girl, this poor girl, right? she was waiting for this for two weeks, right? She goes to her bed, she runs to her room, she's sobbing, crying. She really wants to go to the harbor. And her father doesn't, doesn't give in. Father goes to the harbor and eventually, some, sometime during the day, they come back and, and she's still a little bit sad. And Rabbi Herman, Rabbi Yaakov Herman, who was such a spiritually holy person, tells his daughter, if we would only appreciate and understand how special it is to do hachnasas arachim, how special it is to have guests, if only we would understand how beautiful and important it is, and that is the main reason why we're in this world to do mitzvahs and to do chesed, his eyes are lighting up and shining with just the imagination of the thought of how important these mitzvahs are. And he smiles to if only you would appreciate that the trivial things like going to the harbor it wouldn't bother you so much. And he smiles and he gives her a kiss and moves on. And whatever it is, 60, 50, 50 60 years later, when she, when she wrote this book, she says that she still cherished that moment where... where he, I just, it just clicked, it hit her. That, that's how, that, 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 that he's right. And he's right. And everything, if it's put into perspective like that, yeah, like, like if you think about it that way, I guess you're, yeah, you're right. The mitzvah of is so, so important, so special. And it made her feel good. So that is just to recap what we said. We were talking about the importance why, of, of, of teaching our children the mitzvahs, in a, not in a, in a restrictive way, and in our own minds also, it works like that, to tell ourselves when we start feeling restricted, tell ourselves how special we are, how important our role is, and why is that so important to be spoken about by the Kohanim? Because the Kohanim have the potential to feel the most restricted. Okay, now I would like to move on to the next topic. And this week's parsha. In between, stuck in between all of the Mo'adim, all of the Yom Yom Tovim, all of the festivals, it talks about Sviras Omer. I know that we are in the middle of Sviras Omer, but I don't know if everyone knew that it's in this week's parsha as well. So this week's parsha talks about Sviras Omer. 
And what? Svartam. Okay. Oh, you know the second. You know it. You know the pasuk by heart. Very good. Very good. Very good. I said very good. So the mitzvah so in the in the in the sefer achinach. So we've quoted the sefer achinach before, and the sefer achinach talks about all the different mitzvahs. So it's called a minyan hamitzvahs, which is it lists all of the six hundred and thirty mitzvahs, and it goes by. It's separated by parsha. It was written by an early early. Um, Rishon, so around 800, 800 years ago, 850 years ago. They don't know who wrote it. No one knows who wrote it because he didn't put his name in the front. And they, they claim it may have been the Ra'ah, which is one of the Rishonim. But he was in the same era as the Ramban. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name in English. Nachmanides or something. That sounds good. Nachmanides were in that era, same time as the Rajba. Around that, around that era. Okay, and he wrote a sefer called Minina Mitzvahs. And this mitzvah of Sevir Sa'omer, he has a whole long discussion about Sevir Sa'omer. And the question is as follows. We count, is that, I'm not really going to ask any crazy questions. Just, the question is like this. What are we counting? We're counting Sevir Sa'omer. We're counting the days in between Pesach, Passover, and Shavuos. What happened on Pesach? Everyone knows the Exodus of Egypt, right? We got taken out of the bondage, and we had got we got we got ourselves some freedom. We were slaves, we became free. What happened on Shavuos? Everyone knows we got the Torah, right? What happened in between? Not as not as not as known, right? What happened in between? Called the Sefirah Omer is where we count the Omer. In between, there were forty nine days, and those forty nine days. Besides for traveling physically through the desert in order to get to Mount Sinai, right, which is not very far away, not a 49-day travel. If anyone knows the map, picture the map of Israel and Egypt and the Sinai Desert, you can probably walk across the whole thing in three, two, three, four days. It's not a very, not, not 49 days, that's for sure. They were going around in circles a little bit. So what took 49 days? What was, the, what was going on there? So the answer is, is that when they were in Egypt, it wasn't like a flick of the wrist. It wasn't like, like a, all of a sudden they became these big tzaddikim. They were in slavery for many, many years, for, for generations and generations. Right? They were in Egypt, which was the lowest of the low, for 210 years. It takes a little bit of time to, to erase that out of your, your subconscious, out of your psyche, right? So for 49 days, which is, that in itself is, uh, how do you say it, a... Uh, uh, very concentrated, condensed the um, version of pumping out 210 years worth of impurity. But that was when they were traveling in the spiritual realm, step by step, up on the f- spiritual ladder, 49 days. And then the 50th day was Shavuos. Right, okay, that's true. A little too deep. That's very good. Very good. Okay. So the Sefer Echinach expounds on one other detail, which is as follows. Some people, sometimes we think that there's two separate events that happened. One event was we got taken out of Egypt, and then happens to be 
month and a half, um, yeah, a month and a half, two months later, we got the Torah. He tells us this is not so. Actually, the Yitzhiya Mitzrayim getting taken out of Egypt and the Matan Torah was one long, elongated event. Which means the sole purpose of getting taken out of Egypt was to become the Jewish nation. It was the first step of becoming the Jewish nation. The next step of becoming the Jewish nation was getting the Torah. So two parts of, getting, of becoming a Jewish nation. First part was separating ourselves from the Egyptians and becoming free physically. And just as important, if not more important, was becoming connected to God spiritually. Both two parts, the flip side of the same coin, the same coin. Two very important parts. Can't have either one without the other one. And he writes as follows. Misharashe ha-mitzvah, from the, the source of this mitzvah, the literal definition of sharash is a root, a root of a tree. And the last time I, I mentioned something from this sefer, I probably said the same um, little anecdote. But it's interesting why he calls it a, a, a root. What's, what's the root of a mitzvah? A very interesting word to use. So I heard from, from Rav Gifter Zatzal, who was the Rosh Hashiva of, of Tells Cleveland. He was the big rabbi of Tells Cleveland. And he said a, a, a beautiful idea, which is, which is that every mitzvah you see the surface, you see what's on the top. So you see the tree, right? You know, sometimes the tree is very beautiful, right? But the nourishment of the tree Right, the nourishment and all the minerals and the vitamins, where do they all come from? They all come from the ground. And the ground may not be so pretty, and the roots may not look so beautiful, but without roots, you don't have any tree, right? So sometimes we do a mitzvah, and we do all the, 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 the actions, so to speak. We do all the, the steps, and we, let's say, shake a lubav. But if we don't know the purpose behind it, and not every mitzvah has a clear purpose but the ones that do have a purpose right it's important to, to, to get them and to, to realize them and it gives the, the mitzvah much more meaning okay and it gives the mitzvah much more meaning and we get the nutrients of the mitzvah are in the roots and when we know the roots we can appreciate the mitzvah that much more and I'll read it out okay the mishirash mitzvah the main purpose of the Jewish nation is the Torah and the Torah, the mitzvahs, the commandments because that was what was used to create the heaven and the earth we know that the heaven and the earth were created only after the Torah the Torah was used as a blueprint as it were, to the world okay and that is the ikar siba shenigalu v'yatsumim mitzrayim. That was the main purpose of why we got redeemed from the Egyptian bondage. Kedei sheyikabel the Torah in order b'sina, in order that we should be able to accept the Torah at Mount Sinai. Okay, I'm just going to paraphrase. I'm going to skip a little bit because it's a little bit long. And then he says, and therefore, fascinating. This is what he tells us why we can't. Since this is so, that this is the main purpose of the Jewish nation, and that is why we got removed from the Egyptian bondage, the Torah, so to speak, 
give us a theoretical, or I don't know what the better word is, a dotted line, so to speak, to connect Pesach and Shavuos. So there's like an imaginary dotted line, and that's the Sefer's Omer. So otherwise, we would think that they have, there are two separate events. The Torah gives us the special thing, the special mitzvah to, to count, to remind us every day, what are we counting from? Oh, from Pesach to, to Shavuos. Connecting the dots. Every day we're busy connecting the dots. Today is the 14th day, 16th day, 19th day. I don't want to say tonight. I want to count it after tomorrow. Okay? And as we continue on this journey, so to speak, of counting the days, we get closer and closer. And he says something beautiful. He says like this. Laharis, to show us, in our souls, the yearning and the want, Hagadol, the great yearning and the great want. The great yearning for that day that we will be Mikabal Torah, we will accept the Torah. And we counting eagerly, waiting for that day of Shavuos. Like we should feel like a slave who is slaving away on a hot, hot summer day, 110 degrees outside, with no shade, and he's slaving away, and he has someone whipping his back, and his mouth is parched, and what is he thinking in his head? The feeling of, I just can't wait for the day to be over, to be able to take a drink. That yearning is the yearning that we should feel. Or imagine, obviously, the... Imagine the yearning of, of someone who's marking off the days. If, if we should not know anyone, but let's say someone was in, is in jail and he has a certain sentence. And every day he marks off that day of that day that he's going to be freed from jail. That's the yearning that we should feel. In theory, hopefully one day we, we shouldn't feel like that. For the, the Kabbalah the Torah, for the accepting of the Torah. And he goes on and on. That's the main purpose, the main idea. It should be throughout the life cycle. We have many events that we look forward to, and we and we and we and we look forward to. We count on the days, whether it's a little child counting down the days to the school year to be over, or it's a little older, maybe someone who's who's bar mitzvah. He's counting down his own bar mitzvah, or a graduation. Someone's going to graduate college, etc., or a marriage, a wedding. Or a child being born, or maybe as they get older, retirement, right? You can't end it, or maybe a vacation. It could be many different things, and we all have those feelings of just waiting for that day. And the Chinuch tells us that the yearning for the Torah, for the Kabbalah's Torah, obviously we're not holding on that level, but we should hopefully at least imagine it to dream about, maybe one day holding on that level. We should feel the same way. We should feel, if not that way, even theoretically, even way, way more. We should be yearning for that day. Because we understand that the whole world revolves around our Torah. And be it as it may, whether or not we actually feel that yearning, that is the, the idea of Svir Sa'omer. That is the idea of Canting of the Omer. And I would just like to end off with one small, interesting thing. He ends off over here. And if so, anyone knows, we count the Omer... The first day of the Omer is day one. And the second day of the Omer is day two. Day three, right? And the last night 
He's 49. So he says, why do we do it that way? Every other countdown, how do we do it? We start, the starting date, we start with 60 or 49, 48, 47, right? So he, here we're doing it backwards. So he says something fascinating. We have no connection to this because we don't appreciate the day of Kabbalah Torah, right? I'm, not, I'm myself included, right? But he says something fascinating. He says, if we would start the day 49 days left, we would be mortified. We would, be, we would get depressed. We would be so sad. 49 deaths, days left to Kabbalah the Torah to Shavuos? That's so long. That's terrible. I can't, I can't handle it. So we start day one. We have already passed day one. One day behind us. Day two behind us. Day three behind us. And, and as we go through the days, we're saying we already have five days under our belt. Ten days, twenty days, till we finally have 49. Look what we did already. And as another point, which is a little bit of a different twist, is that also we're growing. So hopefully, in the days of the actual Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, the 49 levels that they grew every day on a spiritual level, they went up on the spiritual ladder. So every day you're counting, I have accomplished level one. Day one is like a, a, a level. And day two is level two. As you go through the days, instead of counting backwards, of saying 49, 47 days left, 45 days left, we say, I have accomplished one level, two levels, 10, 20, 30. And in that way, we can look back and see, look what I accomplished, right? Sometimes when we, when we do this, a lot of times when we're learning Masechtos in Yeshiva, we're learning Gemara, we're learning Talmud in Yeshiva, and we're trying to finish the whole Gemara, a lot of times we do that also. We'll write the list of how many pages, how many folios are in that tract. So let's say there's 100 folios, 100 pages, and we'll say, every time we do a page, we'll cross it off, right? 99. We'll cross it off, 98, right? That's how we do it. But the reality is, imagine if we would do it the other way. We would write, I did one page, check. I did two pages, check, right? That shows, instead of saying how many I've left, I'm looking how many I still have to do, I'm looking at every page I have accomplished. This is in my knowledge. I know this page. I remember it. I learned it. It's mine. It's mine forever and it's never going to go away. Right? And it's the same thing with any mitzvah. It's the same thing with, 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 with Chumash. When we learn Parsha, we, we have accomplished it and we say, I have accomplished day one. I have accomplished level one. It's mine forever and it's never going to go away. I think that's it for now.